And I thank Brother Jacobs for uh, initially uh, having us come in and present the ministry that time ago and taking us on. And you all have faithfully prayed for us and supported us. Uh, thank you so much. It's an honor to, to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It is the, the honor of, you say, the honor of a lifetime, the honor of eternity uh, for sinful people. And you understand that as children of God. And it's also an honor to be able to serve our King on behalf of faithful Christians on this side of the world and people that we love so very much. So thank you. Uh, thank you for praying for our kids. Uh, Micah is not with us tonight. He's our 12-year-old, and uh, we sort of gave him the option. He loved, we're, we're having old-fashioned tent meeting. We have it every year, or our home church does in, in Michigan. And he had never been to a tent meeting before. And we were kind of nervous, to be honest with you. We say, what, what are our kids going to think of all this, this shouting and yelling and all that kind of stuff? And, uh, but it hadn't been too crazy, and they liked it. Uh, and so Micah wanted to stay. He's made some friends there. And so we let him stay with his grandparents and with his friends. And Kaylee is with us. Kaylee's nine years old, and Toby is six. And if I'm understanding this correctly, Kaylee would have been one or two years old when we came, and Toby was not born yet. Uh, Toby was born after we moved to the little town in the video, Leutkirch. So there's a lot of things that have taken place over the past several years, as you've seen in the video, and you might be a little confused because you've probably been praying for the Brown family to Liechtenstein. And uh, there's a lot in the Rhine Valley Project. This is why we decided just to call it the Rhine Valley Project. We live in uh, a place called Leutkirch. It's about 20 minutes north of the Austrian border, and it's about 35 minutes uh, north of the Swiss border. And once you drive through Austria and Switzerland, within an hour from our house, you can be to Liechtenstein. And so you could do the four country tour within an hour from our house. And when we moved down to that little town, what I did not include in the video is that we moved there with the intent of working over the borders into Liechtenstein. And we attempted to do that for some time. Uh, we tried to do evangelistic outreach. We could not live there. We cannot get a visa at the time. We still cannot. And, uh, but the Lord opened up doors in the area we lived in right away. And so we thought, well, we'll just do both. And uh, I found out really fast, I can't do two things at the same time. I can barely walk and chew gum at the same time. And trying to do two works at the same time, it just not, it wasn't working. And so we surrendered uh, our will to the Lord's. And we said, we're just going to do what you've placed in our laps here. And God's blessed the work. Uh, in our absence, there are two men, uh, two young men, um, that are preaching and teaching Bible study in our absence. One young man is not from our uh, church, from the church in Leutkirch. He's uh, a church planner, a German church planner, uh, and he's wanting to start a church in the little town, or the big town called Ulm. Um, it's about 45 minutes east of us, and our church is going to be helping in that church plant. We're going to be assisting with uh, laborers, so we're excited about that. And then there's the other young man, Michael. Uh, he's also German, and uh, he's, uh, come, he came there actually to work with us from another church, and so uh, they're doing a good job. Uh, the responsibilities of just normal church things are being taken care of by the people there in the church. Uh, the church is uh, supported financially of its own 
uh, funds of tithes and offerings. And uh, it's not by any means a wealthy congregation. Uh, they struggle from time to time, but it, they're, they're supporting the work there. And we're very thankful for that. Uh, when we return, by the grace of God, uh, we'll re be returning on September 7th. Uh, we just got back uh, end of May, so this is a very short trip. But when we get back, Lord willing, uh, we're going to be working uh, not only at the church that we started, and we're trying to get them more independent of us, um, and then we'll also be helping a, another missionary, the, the Jeremiah Cooley family. They live a little farther south than us in Germany. We're going to be working together uh, to see Bible studies started in Liechtenstein and in uh, Bible studies and hopefully a church will, will come out of that. And so we're excited about that. There are a lot of great stories I could tell you, things that have just happened over the past few months um, that uh, is, is concerning Liechtenstein that we never thought possible. And uh, so God's all of a sudden, after we've surrendered into, into this international type of ministry, he said, okay, God, we're just gonna go all in. Then he opens up doors over on this side. So we're, it's always exciting serving the Lord. It's, it, it's never boring. If you're bored serving the Lord, then you're doing something wrong. And uh, so God will always keep you on your toes. And we're excited to see what's going on. So thank you so much for your faithful prayers and for your support for our family. Uh, all those people that you saw in those videos, not all of them have come to faith in Christ. Uh, many of them have. Many of them have been saved and have been discipled. Uh, many of them are not, and we love them dearly. Uh, I was telling, or Dina actually, every time she watches the video, she cries. And it's because many of those people we love them, and we want to see them saved. And uh, we, we have, and then the other side is tears of joy. Uh, there are some people in there. There just recently a young girl named Leone. She was our neighbor when we first moved in. This little village, we knew no one in the town where we started the church. And uh, this single mom and her daughter were our neighbors. And they had been sort of outcasts of society in that, in that little village. Uh, for certain circumstances, uh, and they found love at the Brown family house. We just, we, she got to know Kaylee, the little girl's Kaylee's age, and Dina uh, befriended uh, the mother, Carmen, and after a few years of trying to witness to her and just saying, you know, our doors are open anytime you want to come and talk, and uh, after a few years she got saved. And then after getting saved, she really struggled uh, leaving the Roman Catholic Church. And the reason why is that her job is tied to the Roman Catholic Church. And so when you uh, leave Roman Catholicism there, it's a big deal. Uh, you can lose your job. You definitely are outcast even more from society, from family. And so it took a while, but just before we got here, she got baptized. And after she got baptized, her little girl who's been watching her grow in her faith and struggle with this decision and finally surrender to get baptized and leave the Catholic Church, her little girl got saved. And uh, so we're so thankful. You, you can't do that just, just on a whim. It takes time, it takes effort, and also takes prayers. And so you have a part in those souls and so many more who've come to Christ. Thank you so much. All right, so uh, talk with Brother Rice uh, about how long to preach. So for the next three hours or so, we're going to... You're laughing. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I just came from camp meeting. So, no. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Psalms, to the uh, 73rd Psalm. Psalm 73. 
I was telling Pastor Rice that I feel kind of like a music group on tour. I've always heard that there's those embarrassing moments when a music group arrives in a place and they say, it's great to see you, and then they say the, the wrong name of the city. And so all of you Michiganders, I just want to tell you, it's good to be here tonight. Now, we're, we've been traveling quite a bit, but I know that I'm in Ohio at the very least, and um, yeah, as a Michigander, I can't say much more than that. So Psalm 73, when we're looking at this psalm, I just really want to walk through the psalm with you. And I'm looking here at this psalmist Asaph, and the, I'm assuming the ones who are here tonight, you're here on a Wednesday night, you like to study God's Word. You know the psalms, you know that there, is, there, there are more authors than just David who authored psalms. And so you're familiar with these psalms written by Asaph. He authored, I believe, 12 different psalms. Psalm 50 and then Psalm 73 through Psalm 83. And this is the third book of the psalms that we're about to enter into. And these are also described as the Leviticus Psalms or the Temple Psalms. So all of these Psalms in this section in the book of Psalms have to do with the Temple. And this is the ministry that Asaph had. He was uh, very much involved in the music ministry within the Temple. So this is a man who knew what it was like to serve God, who knew what it was like to the ins and outs of ministry. And many of you here understand exactly really what, what Asaph, what, what ministry is like and what he's about to say. You're going to be able to relate to it as well. So let's read this. Asaph writes in verse number one, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, neither is the, uh, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Let's pray and we'll continue with the psalm. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this church. I thank you for their prayers and for their support for our family. And Lord, you know what they mean to us. I thank you, Lord, that the gospel that we have is not a gospel that was created by man. It wasn't some made-up good news. 
but it is really the only truly eternal and true good news that makes everything else good what it is. Lord, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that you loved us sinners so much that you came and gave your life for us. You rose again from the grave. We thank you for this. Lord, I pray that the time that we spend in your word would be beneficial to each of us. I pray, Lord, that Christ would be magnified and that you would burden us anew and afresh, uh, Lord, for the work of the ministry here in Massillon and, Lord, wherever it is that you have us. We pray that you do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've stopped intentionally mid-psalm, so forgive me for that, but we're going to come back to what we've read through. But I want you to follow with me as Asaph is really pouring out a complaint in this psalm. And what I love about the psalms, maybe you you agree with me, I don't know, but what I love about the psalms is how deeply personal they are. I think most people like the psalms because we can relate with the psalms possibly more than any other passage of Scripture on a personal level. I mean, if we're being honest, who of us has not prayed one of those impeccatory prayers of David, Lord, just kill my enemies, right? I mean, just just get rid of them, right? I mean, David is brutally honest, and I'm so thankful that God doesn't hide that from us. But what I'm noticing as I'm reading these Psalms of Asaph, if you'll go through that, he's also brutally honest. But what he is being honest about here is the, the struggles of understanding uh, life in a world where it just seems like things are unfair. And he begins by saying, I know God is good. Truly, God is good to Israel. He has to start out by saying that. And, and it reminds me of a lot of testimony services I've been in. We, we were in a southern church in Tennessee for a while when we were in Bible college. We worked in a, just a little country church. And the pastor would do something that really would make most pastors very uncomfortable. At the end of every message, at the end of every service, he would say, anybody have anything they want to say? <laughs> I, I don't know why he did that, but he would do that, and someone would get up, and there, you know, there's always that one, and, and they'd say, I know God's good, but, and they'd just go into this complaint, and compl- well, he's being real here. He's saying, God, I know God's good, but, in verse number two, But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. He's about to explain his complaint. He's confused about something. I know God is good, but to be honest with you, there was a point in my my life when I almost gave in. I almost slipped. I almost fell not into some great sin, not because of some temptation, He goes into why? Because first of all, there's this this increase amongst wicked people, and he cannot understand it. Verse 3, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, and violence covereth them as a garment. Here he said that it's, it doesn't make sense to me. 
I know God's good, but somehow the wicked people that I am around all the time, they are successful. They are, they're just everything they put their hand to, it seems, like they are succeeding. They're, they're successful in their work. They're, they're prosperous. Even when it comes time to die, I mean, you and I have heard this, right? You hear the preachers get up and the preachers say how just the wicked people, they just have a horrible death. And he's saying, I'm looking around at wicked people and it seems like they have no problem dying. It's a, it, there, there are many examples of this, even, even in the, especially in the media, right? Media is everything that is anti-God and is put out there. And then there's got to be a sheen. There's got to be a beautiful uh, uh, wrapping to cover up this wicked life. And a lot of times you'll see that someone who has lived a godless life or opposed God their entire life, at the end of their life, they're saying these things. And you're thinking, well, I thought they were supposed to be really suffering in their death. Stephen Hawking, right? This man who, uh, he, he suffered his entire life as a, he was a paraplegic and, and rejected the idea of God. I, th- I believe he died as an agnostic. Um, but that man, I mean, th- it didn't come a point in time as he got closer to death where he just, he said, no, I, I just give it all up. I believe on God now. No, it didn't happen. And everybody's wishing well wishes. He's in a better place now, whatever it is that they said. This is what he's saying. I don't understand it, God. In verse number five, they are not in trouble as other men. I'm assuming he's saying, okay, there's, there's they and then others. So they are not in trouble. The others, I believe the others he's spoke, speaking about are believers. Other people, not just me, but it seems like I look around and the people I know who are trying to serve God other men, other brothers and sisters in Christ, they're having it hard too. And they're not having problems like these other men are. And because of all this, pride compasseth them. They're proud. They're haughty. They stick out their chest and they, they act as if they themselves are God. And he doesn't understand it. Their eyes stand out with fatness. Basically, they have everything they want. You get the point here. He is frustrated. He's confused at this appalling increase amongst wicked people. Verse number eight, they're corrupt. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. There's an arrogance here in their speech. They're insinuating something. What are they insinuating? Look down in verse number 11. They say, how does God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Not only are they, have, are they very prosperous, they're increasing, but what they are insinuating arrogantly is there's no God. You look in Psalm 42, and it's repeated by the wicked that are oppressing the psalmist. They say, where is thy God? And the psalmist in that psalm is saying, Lord, I just, I just want you. I'm in a, in a dry and thirsty land. I'm away from uh, everything that, is, that I know to be good and right. I'm away from the temple. I'm away from uh, the fellowship of the saints. And it seems like those who want to oppress me are saying, where is your God? They're just mocking. That's what he's saying here. And so he's confused. You understand the point. Now, I want to skip past... And down into verse number 18, because he, he's saying there's this confusion. And then he says, he says, I, I really doubted why I even cleansed my hands. In other words, why it is that I'm living the Christian life. Why I'm living for God at all. 
He said, I cleanse my hands in innocency. I take that to mean I was ignorant when I placed my faith in God, when I started serving God, because obviously I chose the wrong path. If everybody in the world seems like they're doing good and I'm trying to do the right thing and it's just going bad for me, I was probably just foolish. Now look at verse number 18. He says, Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Now he's speaking about the same wicked people. There's a change in his tone. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Well, look, this is, this is the other side. This is what we're used to hearing, right? That people who do not serve God are headed to destruction. You reject the Savior and you have no salvation. You live for God and it's the way to blessing. And so there's a clear difference now. We see his confusion, but on this side, we see his consolation. There is justice. There are a lot of people who ask, you know, they'll, say, they'll, they'll claim, I should say, that they do not believe in God. Or they will say, I believe in God and I believe in heaven, but I do not believe that a good God would, you finish the sentence, send people to hell. Well, I don't believe a good God would allow people like Adolf Hitler, who killed millions of Jews, to go to heaven unrepentant of that sin. That's not a good God. I don't believe that a good God would allow people who, who uh, promote the murdering of babies and, and the, the, the injustice and the wickedness that's going on in our world and the corruption and the pollution of children and teenagers in our world. I don't believe God will let a person like that go to a good heaven unless they repent or without a sacrifice, right? And so God is good, and, and he's saying here, there's some consolation here. God is just. And, and I guess I want to know, what was it that changed? What made the change? He was confused, he was concerned, he was, he was frustrated, and now we see him saying, look, yes, there is justice, and God's going to make things right. But notice where the change took place. This is what we skipped in verse number 17. Look at back at verse 16, actually. He says, when I thought this, thought to know this, it was too painful for me. In verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. You see, there was a change that took place. When did it take place? When he went into the sanctuary of God. This is, a, this is significant. His entire attitude, his entire mindset changed when he went to the sanctuary. Now, there's a lot that we could say here. We, we understand when he went into the sanctuary from verses 18 to 20, he, his idea and his understanding changes about the state of man apart from God. He said, I understood their end. When he went to the sanctuary, that was corrected. In verse number 21 and 22, we see his understanding of himself changed. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reign. So foolish was I and ignorant, I was as a beast before thee. And when he went into the sanctuary of God, not only did he realize what happens to people who reject God, but he also realized his own personal condition before God. He said, I was pricked in my reign. I was convicted. 
God worked in my heart and I saw how foolish I was. He said, I was like a beast, just like a foolish beast before you, God. And this all happened in the sanctuary. Not only that, but in the sanctuary, in verse number 23, he got a correct view of God. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast hold me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Was he saying, God, in spite of my foolishness, in spite of my, un- my, my lack of faith, in spite of my doubting, nevertheless, I'm with you. He's not saying it was me. He's saying God is great and merciful. And he goes through this list of things about God. He said, God, you're going to guide me. You're going to receive me into glory after I pass from this life. All that I need in this life is you, God. And all of this he gets from the sanctuary. Now, the sanctuary is to me very interesting because we think of a sanctuary as a sanctuary for us. But he calls in verse number 17, he calls this sanctuary the sanctuary of God. So this sanctuary is not a sanctuary for us, but it's a sanctuary for God. Now, why in the world would God need a sanctuary? Well, the sanctuary he's talking about is the temple, okay? We understand the tabernacle uh, was given. God gave the plans to Moses. They built it. That traveled. And then after, after that period of time, David comes along, the king, and they, they finally build the temple after David passes on. He prepares God. Uh, I, I believe he had the burden to do this, and, then, and, and he couldn't do it. God wouldn't allow him to build the temple, but he prepared. He gave. The people gave. And then Solomon, his son, built the temple. And the temple was said to be the dwelling place of God on earth. Why? Because God who is holy cannot dwell among sinful man on this sinful earth without a sanctuary. So here this holy God says, I want to dwell amongst man. I want them to know my presence. And so in his mercy, he creates a place, he designs a place where he can fellowship with man, where fellowship with God is made possible on earth. This is a place of service. We're familiar with the priestly service that goes on. It's a place of sacrifice. All these priests, they're, they're, taking, uh, they're taking these lambs and these offerings and they're slaying them and they're taking the blood that was shed and offering this up to God. Why? To pay for the sins of the people so that fellowship can be possible between God and man. It's a place of sacrifice. And because of this, it's a place of supplication. You see, man, because of the sacrifice, can go to God. Isn't that wonderful? God created a sanctuary on earth. And this is the temple. It's also a place of fellowship. There was the tabernacle of the congregation, or the area of the congregation, the outer court, or the outer area, I should say. That's where people could come, and they could congregate, they could bring their sacrifices to the priest. This is a wonderful place. And Asaph is saying, I did not understand what life was all about, even in the ministry, even serving God, even being involved in singing, even being involved in leading singers, even being involved in in that temple ministry. He said, there came a time in my life I did not understand what was going on. It was all confusing to me, but when I went into the sanctuary, it all made sense to me. 
Now here's my question. What if there wasn't a sanctuary? What if there wasn't a place where Asaph could go to get his mind corrected? What if there wasn't a place that Asaph could go to get his wrong ideas adjusted about God's justice? What if there wasn't a place, a sanctuary, where Asaph and others could go, where they could learn about their condition before God? What if there wasn't a place where he could go and, and, and fellowship with other people who had gathered to fellowship with God? What if that wasn't there? What if there wasn't a place where he could go and find out just who God was? Well, we know in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus, he fulfills the tabernacle, all of these pieces, all of these parts of the tabernacle point to Jesus. Amen. I mean, if you dig into there, we won't take the time to do it, but if you study in the book of Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, all of the, not only the pieces, also the process and the, the service, it's all pointing to the Lamb of God that would one day come to take away the sins of the world. And Jesus Christ is truly, as he dies for mankind on the cross, as he raises again from the dead, he has truly become our sanctuary. In him we find all that we need. In him we find relief, and in him we rest. What did he say? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And it is in the Lord Jesus Christ that we find all that we need. This is true. But the reality is, I've never seen Jesus. Have you? I hope not. If you have, <laughs> talk to Pastor Rice after service. I've never seen Jesus. But what's wonderful about our Lord is he didn't, he didn't miss something in the process. He knew that people needed a sanctuary. And so what did he do? He, the Bible says Jesus called the church his body. In other words, Jesus said, I'm going to make a sanctuary. I'm the sanctuary. And the sanctuary for the world and the sanctuary for the, the believer, the thirsty soul who's looking for answers is the church, his body. Let me give you, explain this a little bit. Look with me in uh, 2 Corinthians, in chapter number 6. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're familiar with this passage. This is a passage on separation from the world and unto the Lord. Verse number 14. Oh, go up in verse 11, I should say. Paul is speaking here, he says in 2 Corinthians 6, 11, O ye Corinthians, so this is to a group of believers, multiple believers, this is the church at Corinth. Our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged, ye are not straightened in us, but we are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak unto you, unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, and what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Here it is. For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, 
Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Here he says, I'm going to walk in them. Who is that? The temple of the living God. You say, that's my body. He's speaking, yes, that's your body, but that is the body. He's speaking to multiple believers. He, here he's saying, I'll walk in them. This is fulfilled in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you see the seven churches on earth. This is representing the body of Christ, the church on earth. And where is Christ when the church is on earth? He's walking in the midst of the golden candlesticks. He's walking in the midst of his church. The sanctuary is very much the church, at least in our context. And the question that I have to ask is what if there is no sanctuary? You say, well, we have a sanctuary. Great, wonderful. The beginning of the video, by the way, that wasn't, I have to say it, that wasn't our music. (laughs) If that confused you, it wasn't our music. But it was great, it was really good music, but it wasn't our music. But the beginning of the video explains there are Billions of people, seven point, I believe it says 7.9 billion people on earth, over half of them, over half of them are unreached. That doesn't mean they haven't heard the gospel. It doesn't mean they live maybe in the neighborhood of a Baptist church and nobody's ever witnessed to them. That means they live, over half of the people in the world live in a place or in a language group where there is no witness. There's no church. The pillar and the ground of the truth. There's nothing to support the truth. There's nothing going on there. There's no church. And so there's a lot of people like Asaph, except for Asaph had at least heard the the gospel. At least Asaph had known the Lord, I should say. He had a relationship with God. There are a lot of people walking around like Asaph saying, none of this makes sense to me. None of this makes sense to me. I know that there's something here. I know that it can't just all be by accident. There must be some creator God, but the religions that we've come up with, we kill each other, we eat each other, we murder each other, we hate each other. This can't make sense. How could there be a good God out there? And so what if there was no sanctuary? And the simple message tonight is this. The reason why you support world missions It's because there are no sanctuaries. It's been interesting on this trip. This isn't the the most, let me say, well put together message. These are thoughts that the Lord's been putting on my heart. But it's been interesting as we've been going through this short period of deputation. We go to churches and we see things through different eyes. After being over there for a little while, and we don't see things like, you know, people who have been there longer than us see them, but when we come back and we see all this talent, I mean, churches are full of talent. You got churches with like 15 piano players, you know, and, and, and people who can teach the Bible and people who run bus routes and people who do this and that. And you very often hear people say, I want to serve the Lord, but there's nothing for me to do here. Say, I know where you can do something. There are no sanctuaries. I can point you to many places in the world where there are no sanctuaries. It's interesting when you look at the Bible that from the very beginning of time, God says, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And what is the tendency of man? 
to be fruitful and multiply and stay at home. Sorry. That's all throughout. Tower of Babel. What were they doing? We're going to stay home. And God says, you can try that. And he scatters them. You get all the way to the New Testament church. God blesses. And what happens in Jerusalem? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And what happens? They stay at home. God sends persecution. So they'll scatter. What do we have in 2022? We have, in America, churches that are big. Really big. You say, our church isn't big. Okay, that's a contextual thing. I can tell you there are many churches, most of the churches in Germany would think this church is gigantic. I mean, we're going to churches and they're big. There's nothing wrong with being big, but what I've noticed is people just like it. They just, they're comfortable. And I'm just thinking, if you're the same God that commanded way back, said, be fruitful and multiply, and the same God that said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, is our God today that he's not very pleased with some of us. And I'm not saying I've arrived somewhere because we can get just as comfortable over there behind, hiding behind a, a, a letter every two months. I, I'm being honest with you. We can get just, get just as comfortable over there as you can here. But there are people who need the gospel and they need churches and they need to see some life. And dear Christian, it might be you. It might be you in this room where you say, oh, I'm, I'm too old, or I'm too established in my job, or I just got moved, or whatever. Have you ever just opened up and said, God, I'll do whatever you want? Amen. That's all he's asking for. I'm going to pray. I know this is, not, like I say, this is not a typical sermon. It's definitely not the way I normally preach, but I believe that's what the Lord's put on my heart for tonight. And so I'm going to pray and then turn it back over to the preacher. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you, Lord, for a sanctuary. I thank you, Father, for churches that have influenced and impacted my life and are still impacting my life. I thank you for this church. Lord, what would Massillon be without the Anchor Baptist Church? Lord, I pray for those many peoples in the world today, in those many places where there is no Wednesday night Bible study, where there's, there's no presence whatsoever of a church, no gospel being preached. I pray, dear Lord, that you would send laborers to them. And I pray, Father, for this church, that you would raise up laborers, laborers out of this church, not only to serve here, which is wonderful, but also raise up laborers to send to the regions beyond. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I think the message was very clear tonight. There's a world full of need. There's places. We, we just... We drive by church after church. We're kind of just accustomed to having churches all around us.
world needs to see a sanctuary, needs to see the light of Jesus Christ, needs to see it in our life.